0: Fox News alert millions of American families. Hello, everyone. And and John's thank you so much for joining us for CBN News Watch. I'm George Thomas. We begin with the latest warning here at St. John's Hospital,
1: There are certainly a lot of headwaters here at the LAPD. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for CBN News Watch. I'm George Thomas. We begin with the latest in the coronavirus pandemic. Number of cases here in the U.S.
0: Rise to Liberty podcast, the best podcast you've never heard of fighting for free speech and spreading the message of liberty. Find us at risetoliberty.com for everything related to the show, including our merch, social media, episode player, and much more. Uh, Today on the show, we've got a very uh, important person, I would say, in the liberty movement, Justin O'Donnell. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great. I don't know if I'd call myself important. Uh, definitely controversial at times but I've last time somebody called me important I went on a rant about how me being important was a big problem with the liberty movement because I should not be (laughs) as big as I am and like all I do is lately is shit post on Twitter I've run for office a few times and I used to be on the LNC but I I, I think a problem with the liberty movement is that it's so small that I'm important
0: yeah I I could see that (laughs) So, I was actually uh, having some conversations on Clubhouse. Um, you know, there's a pretty good mixture of people over there, of, of liberty minded people. So, I, I like hopping on there from time to time and talking to everybody. And uh, somebody made a, a really interesting point about the liberty movement that it, we're libertarians are typically the smartest people in the room. And when well, you they think so. Yeah. That that is true, you know. You hop on Liberty Twitter for a little bit, and you notice that uh, a lot of libertarians are not. But then it it also kind of becomes like an elite club.
1: Yeah, and, and I, again, that's another problem. That's a huge problem. Um, to say right there, I I think that's a really fatal conceit of libertarians to think they're the smartest person in the room at all times. And I see this as a huge problem with libertarians and libertarianism in general is that the people who adhere to the ideology and the philosophy like are so utterly convinced that we are right and no one else has any good points that you have to start to wonder at what point are you just exemplifying the Dunning-Kruger effect effect, where like you think you're smarter than you actually are and you're really just the stupidest person in the room.
0: Yeah, start getting that big libertarian head. (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah, like I don't Like I hang I, out. Know, there's a clubhouse that we have here in Manchester, New Hampshire, for anarchists and libertarians. It's a private members only club, and I'll be hanging out there sometimes. And I'll be watching some videos on TikTok or YouTube, and like I'll start like watching some leftist or some neocon videos and listening to them argue points and. Th- other people around me will start interjecting oh, That's wrong, blah, 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 without actually listening to the points that are being made. And I'm like, can you shut up and listen? Like, let's have a discussion afterwards. But like, why can't we hear what they're saying Yeah. before we try and tear it down? Because if you're not going to listen to your opposition and hear what they have to say, then you're not ever going to be in a position whereby you can counter what they have to say from a place of intelligence because you're not willing to hear the argument in the first place.
0: Yeah, I mean, ideally, you should be able to argue from the other side, right? Like, you, you should be able to take your opposing opponent, opponent's side and be able to argue from their standpoint. You should know their argument well enough to be able to pick it apart. So Right, but it, if you're, if sense you're unwilling
1: to, to listen to it, if you're unwilling to consider that that argument might be coming from a place of intelligence or a place of moral high ground, then you're not going to give it the credence it deserves to be argued against and libertarians also have like this fatal flaw of believing that their own morality is superior and by de de facto correct over other peoples and when you argue with people when libertarians argue with people i see it time and time again where they come into an argument assuming that they can logic their way to a win because they've believe that their point is so much better that it's inherently the correct argument if only everybody could see the logic without understanding that other people have different moral frameworks and different standards and that your logic might not fit their worldview. And so if you're trying to argue something with logic when you don't understand how somebody came to their beliefs in the first place, then you're not using the logic that's going to convince them.
0: Well, Well, and I've always you know I, I was taught to really take people's arguments and then like you you got to boil everything down. you've, you've got to get you've, you've got to argue ethics and morals before you can argue politics. you know you, you've really got to handle some of these things because if you can't agree uh, it's like a friend of mine, Sean Hickman, he, he turns around and says that you know if you can't argue what the fundamental rights, of humans in general are the how can you argue anything more complicated
1: well i I think the problem is that people are approaching it as an argument in the first place like i don't try and argue with people um I, i hate having arguments i hate having debates i don't think they're productive i don't think they convince anyone i don't think they turn anyone to away from their deeply held views and opinions they only deepen the divide between people who are working for what they see is the best interests of humanity and what they see is the best interests of their view of freedom. And so by approaching things in an argumentative manner, you're not building those bridges. You're not building alliances. You're not getting to know your fellow man and understanding where they're coming from and finding issues where you do agree, where you can work together and advance both of your causes at the same time. I don't take that approach. And I, I've gone out on a limb and I've had a few people on my show who on the surface would look like we radically disagreed on things. It's like uh Heidi Brionis. I invited Heidi Briones from uh, Portland, Oregon on my show to talk about universal basic health care. And like I didn't go into that expecting to debate her on universal health care and universal basic income and how they were bad ideas. I wanted to have a conversation with her and we had an hour long conversation about why she thought it was important. Why she thought it was okay why she thought that her values were better and why i thought and instead of debating we like found a middle ground and reached an ag- agreement on values where we both shared similar values and since then she's become engrossed in liberty twitter and like she's still believes in universal basic income and universal health care but by deep diving into realizing that libertarians aren't just awful people who are going to logic their way around things, now she's a big <laughs> Second Amendment advocate. Now she's yeah. uh, huge on personal choice and medical freedom and like to the point where Democrats have disowned her because of things she said. Oh, oh no, that the came blue from mafia. A conversation. <laughs> yeah, that came from having a conversation, not from having a debate. And yeah. libertarians... Like, the autism runs strong in the niche internet (laughs) world and they just want to argue about everything. And I hate arguments, uh, especially the petty infighting drama and bullshit. Like I woke up this morning to my inbox flooded uh, with people saying so-and-so and and -and so-and-so are having an argument or what side are you going to take? I'm like, I don't fucking care. They're both friends of mine.
0: Yeah. Oh God. That's like bringing up 12 shots deep or 900 pound gazebos or anything, you know?
1: So, on those issues, not everyone on both sides is friends of mine. I'll take I'll take the yeah. <laughs> side on that argument any day. Uh, but th- those, like the 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 liberty movement, is so focused on a fight to be had that they'll when there isn't a pressing fight being taken to them, they'll eat their own.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty fair assessment. I would say. I mean, I've I've personally experienced it as well. So. I'm actually over in Utah, and over here at the LP, um, luckily, we're pretty mellow, you know? We don't have a lot of infighting like some of you guys on the East Coast do, Uh, over in Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, you know, New Hampshire. Like, a lot lot of you guys over there, you know, lots of infighting. Texas, I noticed there's been a lot of issues recently, A a lot of people sniping at each other. It's just it's just kind of funny. It's like no wonder why nobody takes the libertarian ticket serious because they well, see a lot of this thing. shit.
1: I have noticed within the libertarian party, within, within the political apparatus of the party, not the movement in general, not Liberty Twitter, not libertarians or their communities, but within the party, most of the vehement and violent drama and fights and arguments and coup attempts are taking place in either – the states where the libertarian party is the most effective and accompl- accomplishing things or where it's the least effective and <laughs> accomplishing the least it it it's mind-blowing to me
0: yeah it's 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 really interesting uh you know i i started getting really involved um right around the the time Mises really popped up um, started gaining traction. Um, that's actually what really got me interested in getting more involved before I just had no interest in, uh, dealing with the autism. You know, it was just not something I really wanted to do. Um, definitely now I'm, I'm more focused locally, obviously. I mean, that's, it's what, what affects me daily versus, I mean, national politics, it's fun to bitch about. I, I do enjoy it, but, yeah, I don't really care in the long run.
1: No. Local politics, all politics are local and that that's something that libertarians seem or, or on the surface accept. And when they'll take the argument, OK, run for school board, run for uh, your local county commission, like all these nonpartisan offices that really affect your daily life in every meaningful manner. It's like that's where active, meaningful, effective change happens at those local political levels. But what they don't take to heart is that all politics is even more local than that. It's your relationship with your neighbors. It's your relationship yeah. with your local community and how you're seen by those in your community. Um, one of the biggest pieces of drama we had here in New Hampshire stemmed from somebody who was a big-name libertarian celebrity, uh, former chair of the National Party, who moved into our community in Manchester and then just started treating people like shit. <laughs> like, he was an asshole hmm. who treated people like shit, and the community rejected him. Yeah. So.
0: Uh-huh. It, it, it's, it seems uh, pretty obvious. Also, I wonder who that was. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, um, I,
1: if I remember correctly, it was none of the above
0: Yeah, right <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's uh, It's really interesting So how do you think uh, Reno's going to go? Do you think it's going to be a bloodbath Or do you think it's going to be relatively calm All things considered?
1: I think it's going to be an embarrassment I, I think it's going to be an embarrassment <laughs> To the liberty movement, to the libertarian party Yeah, no. um, interesting no, I hate to say it, like, I'm not even sure I'm going to go uh I, I'm I'm not concerned that 13 great delegates will get chosen from New Hampshire if I'm not on the slate. Like I don't feel the need to take up a seat to go to Reno because I trust the people who are running to represent my values at that in that vote and those, those elections. However, the proximity of it to Porkfest. It's like two weeks before Pork Fest, and it's like, if I'm going to have to choose between one of the two of them, I'm going to choose the event up in the mountains with the people I love and my friends and members of my community that's guaranteed to be a good time over driving across the country to bother myself with internal politics, petty drama, and infighting for a week uh, with a bunch of people I genuinely don't like. Like, I'll be perfectly honest, like, there's a handful of people who I've gotten to know really well in the Liberty Movement and the Libertarian Party, and we've established, like, really great close friendships over the years, but then there's a lot of people who, like, all I know of you is your online personality, and you're just kind of an autistic asshole, and I don't want to drive across (laughs) the country to spend a week arguing with you about who should be on the freaking public relations committee of the libertarian party it doesn't actually impact my fucking life in any meaningful way and since i've stepped down from the lnc and since i've stepped away from libertarian party politics and just not made it a focus of my life and just focused on community and outreach and my nonprofit work and the local stuff here in new hampshire my quality of life has improved significantly
0: oh i i can only imagine <laughs> like the the idea of being involved with the LNC sounds terrible. It it sounds like a true nightmare.
1: I, mean, I don't know how I ended up there. Like, to be perfectly honest, like, I've been a libertarian for a good long while. I had my, like, awakening moment that brought me to libertarianism and, like, incrementally got more and more and more involved over the years up until 2016 where I jumped feet first into helping work for the Gary Johnson campaign because I'm like, well, the the alternatives are fucking awful. Jesus Christ. (laughs) And Um, By the end of that campaign, like I had made a name for myself because I was one of the only libertarians that I lived in Massachusetts at the time. I was one of the only libertarians in Massachusetts that was not only willing to do things, but was apparently capable of doing them as well. Uh, So when it came to like petitioning and ballot access, where they're expecting like your average petitioner to go out and get 20 to 30 signatures a day, and I came back with 380. They're like, what the hell? I'm like, yeah, it's not that easy. You just talk to people and ask them if they want to sign your thing. And that was a mind-blowing concept to libertarians, (laughs) that getting a petition signed was as simple as asking someone to sign it.
0: Yeah, and not explaining to them for 20 minutes why they're wrong for not signing it.
1: Right, and and like, and then next thing I know, Larry Sharp is resigning from the LNC due to his conflicts, and uh, he, Larry calls me, uh, Karen Ann Harlow's texted me, like, you should run for this vacancy, and Larry's like, I'll endorse you, you'll be great for it. I'm like, cool, and like, that sounds fun. I'm like, I've been involved in the Libertarian Party for four and a half months at this point. Next thing I know, I'm on the LNC. (laughs) Like, That's not how a professional organization should work um, at all. And uh, I went to the LNC with business experience. I've run businesses. I've run, uh, I helped manage one of the country's largest insurance brokerages for years. I've done the top-down organizational management. I've done the bottom-up organizational management in, I I went to the LNC and quickly learned that very few people on the LNC are qualified for the roles (laughs) and positions they're in. We just like, there was a point in my last term on the LNC and it's kind of weird to talk about this, but if, if you look at the voting records from not this LNC, but the previous one, Dr. Chuck Moulton keeps a phenomenal record of every LNC vote on every proposal and motion pushed and who voted which way on it. Um, the two LNC members with the closest voting records on any issues were me and Joe Bishop Henchman. Right, mind-blowing, because when it comes to actually conducting the business of the party, as opposed to, like, bickering over politics and other shit, the two people with business and nonprofit management experience agreed on things, even though we violently disagreed on w- what our messaging on Twitter should be, or other shit, yeah. and so, like, me and Joe developed a really, really good working relationship, like, when it came to... The ins and outs of daily management of the party, because it was it was votes on things like the insurance policy we're going to offer the member uh, the uh, employees, uh, renegotiating contracts for staff, uh, paying off the mortgage, like things <laughs> that people don't realize the LNC is responsible for. Yeah. And I, I see we, we have a big problem of elevating activists into positions that they're not qualified for or competent to carry out within the Libertarian Party just because there's nobody else.
0: Yeah, it's the, the you know, 10 people out of 100 who actually show up and do something. Everyone and wants of, the glory, but don't want the work.
1: And of those 10 people, one of them might actually know what goes into the job, and they say, fuck no, I don't want to do it. And so it gets passed <laughs> off to somebody who is woefully unqualified, but really wants to um,
0: do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. It's it's honestly why I'm glad the the way things work over here in Utah. It's like we we just do us, you know. Um, things move a little bit slower here, and everybody gets along regardless of uh, exactly how we feel about things. And we we have discussions, you know. It's like I'm I'm the chair of my county affiliate over here, and uh, really our meetings once a month as we we get together have Mexican food, drink a beer, maybe two beers and talk shit about the government, you know? Right.
1: But Hey, let's actually be honest about this. That's not activism. And like, whether or not that should be the role of the party or if you're in reality, you're hosting a social meetup group and calling it a political party. Like not a knock at you. This is just a knock at like what the libertarian party has come to expect from itself and its organization. Oh yeah. And, this is one of the knocks I had like on the previous leadership in New Hampshire throughout the two years of COVID, they had one single meeting and it got like four fucking people to show up. And it was just a social gathering. And then after the Mises caucus took over the party, like we see posts in our members, Facebook group. They're like, what kind of events does the Mises caucus hold? I haven't seen anything. I'm like, well, here's all the testimony on state legislation. Here's all the bills that well, our members have written that are being heard in the House of Representatives this year. Um, here are these major protests we helped organize. Here's the fact we've doubled membership by recruiting at these events that you assholes just didn't show up to because it wasn't a social gathering at a restaurant. And that's, yeah. they It blows their mind that outreach is just going to a restaurant with people and they think that's accomplishing liberty or moving liberty forward. And I say this about podcasters too. Like I'm a podcaster. I have a podcast. I do my show. I love doing my show. It's really fun, but it's not activism. (laughs) Like until you've reached, until you've reached (laughs) Dave Smith's level of reach where you're reaching people outside of the echo chamber on a regular basis, until you have reached like the Tim pool level of reach where you have a hundred thousand people who, don't agree with you listening to every episode because it's interesting and curious enough. You're not doing activism by hosting your podcast. You're just hosting 100% a agree. with your friends.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's, like, so when, one of the first things we started doing, uh, we actually have a coat drive going right now and it was something because we were just newly affiliated. It was something that we thought was small enough because I, I didn't want to get the burnout for everybody. I didn't want to try and get all of us, to do like this huge thing and bite off more than we could chew. And so, but even, even with the coat drive, um, everyone that's been working on it has been really great about it, but trying to get like new people involved to try and do something is just, it's like pulling teeth. It's just, it's ridiculous.
1: And that's not even activism. That's community service. That, mm-hmm. that's something that you can use later on, say, look at these great things we're doing for our community when it comes to supporting and defending your activism. Mm-hmm. But you're not even asking people to do something outrageous. You're not even asking people to show up and testify on legislation. You're not even asking people to take a day off of work and go inconvenience themselves in the fight for liberty. Yeah, we're we're going to out to of our way.
0: <laughs> we're we're going out of our way. Like I, I even set up a pickup service. So you just gotta call and we'll yeah. come pick up the donations, you know? Yeah. Like and it's still like pulling teeth. It's ridiculous. Right.
1: But, you know, I guarantee you, like the same people that you're pulling teeth to get like done something meaningful for your community, a coach drive in the winter, um, you know, voluntary charity to replace the government that doesn't work and like make a case and point that private charity is a better option. Even though that's not activism, it defends your message, it supports your message and it preaches your own practice that the people who aren't willing to do that would be willing to run for delegate to the, to Reno because their opinions matter.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it just kind of comes full circle. You know, it's just this, uh, separation of people who actually want to do things versus just want to have a social club, you know, people that want to turn the, the, the LP into the water buffaloes.
1: And, and like, when I say, I, I think Reno is going to be a goddamn embarrassment because it's going to be televised. It's going to be on C-SPAN. This things going to be on national goddamn television. Mm-hmm. And that was something I never really thought about or realized going into national conventions in the past. But in 2018 in New Orleans, during the national convention, somebody nominated me for vice chair from the floor. And I'm like, <laughs> no, fuck you. Fuck every last one of you. Um and when I got up to give my my speech after I'd been nominated, I just spent five minutes railing. I'm like, "You are all embarrassing. This is disgusting. Like the the fact that we are here at and arguing over such petty, nonsensical bullshit while the state grows ever more and the state threatens ever more our personal liberties and our freedoms is." Absolutely embarrassing. And I just yelled at the fucking twelve hundred people on the floor. <laughs> and like I stopped and there was no standing ovation. It was just a weird, awkward silence. Twelve hundred people <laughs> what like, just happened. <laughs> I walk back to my seat and my, I get a text message from a friend of mine and it's just literally she just took a picture of her T V on C SPAN. It's just me screaming at people on C SPAN. I'm like, Well, <laughs> fuck us.
0: <laughs> I mean, honestly, that that's that's, I would consider that a badge of honor. I mean,
1: because, it's not like I did a strip tease and a green thong.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, talk about embarrassing. It's, yeah. it, it, it seriously is no wonder to me that like we, we don't ever get much done, especially on the national level. And, and not to mention, I mean, that the, anything national, maybe congressmen, like if we could have like three or four congressmen, it would be super rad. But, I mean, well, a president, level, a libertarian president, no, get out not going to
1: happen. It, on the national level, part of the reason we're not getting anything done is because, like, the LNC is, I, I hate to say it, like, we're, we're trying to run campaigns to win national seats and national media attention and national recognition that are being organized and run by people who've never accomplished that. So how do we... Ex- that our experience is going to be different when we don't have the skill sets within our groups we haven't recruited people who know what the fuck they're doing to do yeah. these things uh the national party just fundraised like thirty thousand dollars to produce an anti-mandate and anti-lockdown advertisement that they were going to push out and tv it was going to be a big great thing for libertarianism and then in the last LNC meeting quarterly report all the marketing director had all the statistics and everything. And I'm reading it, and I'm like, this is absolutely embarrassing. Like I get better reach with a tweet than mm-hmm. the national party got with a $30,000 fundraise professionally produced video. And they're breaking it down with their conversion metrics and their click-through metrics. And I'm reading them. And I commented in the Facebook room, like these are embarrassing statistics. Like why would you publish and brag about this? And a national party staffer yeah, is like, seeing these those. are cr- He's like, these are great work. What are you talking about? I'm like, okay, no, they're not. Let's just compare this side by side to a two minute video that a member made on their own and published on Twitter. And their cost for engagement was negative, which means they spent no money to produce it. They spent about two hours of their time to produce it. And it got hundreds of thousands of views. It got tens of thousands of shares. No money was put into promotion. No money was put into um, publishing it. Your video cost $30,000 all in, including the production, the posting, the um, spread of it. And it got less than 40,000 total views. It got less than 100 total shares. And your click-through conversion rate, you got three new members. Congratulations. You spent $30,000 to recoup $75 in membership dues. How is that a successful (laughs) marketing campaign? Anywhere other than politics. And if we're going to take an approach that politics is what's wrong with this country and that private business should run the country because – individuals know best how to manage an economy in their life, then we shouldn't be judging ourselves based on political metrics. We should be judging our success as if we're running a business because what we are is running a business. We are competing with a message in an open marketplace of ideas. And we are failing to do that because our marketing is terrible because we haven't bothered hiring anyone who has any experience in marketing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's well said. I mean, the, the, the one thing I've learned I mean, I, I knew this before I started the show, but really learned it after is you, you could have the, the top quality camera, the, the microphones, whatever setup you want. But if you have garbage material, it doesn't matter. You, you can have what? an average okay camera, but if your show is great, your content's great, mm-hmm. then it will get spread around, period. So... Like, I, I I don't know. I, I've i really gotten to a point where beyond having ballot access, which I, I think a few states have actually lost it this year. Um, yep. Which. Or forfeited. Oh, yeah. Which is like Delaware. so <laughs> defeating. Yeah, exactly. Um, beyond having ballot access and just a couple of business things, I, I don't see the purpose in the LNC. Like, I, I just don't.
1: No, and I've said this before, the realistically, the the whole point of what the LNC should be and should do for the National Party is to just provide a point of inquiry for people who stumble across it on the internet or, or wherever to get directed to their state parties and to manage the law and to make sure the lawsuits get filed on time. Yeah. Like, like, the lawsuits are incredibly important and difficult to coordinate. I get that that takes a national organization to oversee and make sure they're done correctly. At any given time, the LNC has four or five pending federal lawsuits against the government on behalf of varying state parties or other organizations or whether they're uh, petitioner cratori or they're filing amicus briefs in Supreme Court cases. Those are all important things to do that the state parties are not equipped to do. But the national party spends close to $2 million a year on other shit.
0: Yeah, which could be... Oh my god, I, I can't even imagine what could actually be done if that was actually spent wisely. Which, or even if it I, I thought we were supposed all. to be fairly fiscally conservative, you know?
1: Right. Well, I mean, we are (laughs) running on a $2 million a year budget instead of a $100 million a year budget like the other parties do to accomplish pretty much the same thing on the national level because the National Party for the Republicans doesn't do shit. The National Party for the Democrats doesn't do shit. Um, They don't even have membership maintenance. They don't do membership. Uh, They just do large donor curation. If you're not donating $30,000, they don't care to talk to you. Um, If you're donating $10, the Libertarians care to talk to you because like, oh shit, they like us. Yay! They like us.
0: Well, holy shit! Somebody, somebody bought a lifetime membership.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, that's fifteen hundred bucks. I'll never get back. <laughs> yeah. But hey, yeah, I've 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 wasted more money on dumber things in the past. I I don't judge myself for buying a true. lifetime membership in the LP.
0: Yeah, I've I've bought things, walked out of a store and looked at myself and been like, Why the fuck did I just buy that? So, you know
1: I I got a TV over here on the wall and like I bought it like two years ago and uh put it up and like sweet and then I realized like a week ago, I'm like, I've never turned it on. I spent like three hundred dollars on TV. I have never turned it on. Like I went looking for the remote and like I don't even know where the remote is. Like why yeah. did I do that? <laughs>
0: So let me ask you, where where do you think libertarianism or let's go broader, the the liberty movement in general, where do you think that fits within the culture war that we're currently dealing with?
1: Well, culture war. Like, here's the thing, this is a Everything's
0: gay and retarded.
1: Yeah, this is a Mises (laughs) talking point I hear, and it's something that I can't even hear them define. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm doing a show with Reed Coverdale and. Um, somebody else at the end of the week called no caucus for old men, because I, I think the caucus divides in the party are a big part of what's holding it back. Um, and I think the Mises caucus is causing as many problems as they're fi- as they claim to be trying to fix, but like the, what culture war, like uh, your culture war is not getting solved by politics. Your culture war is something that's fought in art and media and pop culture and film and it's not something you're going to fix on Twitter. It's not something you're going to fix oh, yeah. in politics. It's something you fix by getting involved in your community and um, making art. And, like, I'm an artist. I don't publish much. Um, I, I have a show this coming week with David Sanchez. He's an artist. He publishes a lot. And he's trying to turn art in favor of liberty. But like, I feel like... People in the Libertarian Party, especially like the Mises and the Paleo-Libertarians, like, have just used culture war as kind of a dog whistle for anything they don't like. And have really started to, like, turn away from the fight for liberty in the fight against the left. And and culture war has just come to mean anything the left says I don't like. And to me, like... With the trans issues, like, I don't give two shits about somebody's pronouns. It's no skin off my back to call somebody by the pronouns they choose to be called for and that they ask to be called by. It doesn't impact me or my life at all. Um, It does raise to a level of a problem, though, when you have, like, school teachers coming out about being transgender to their kindergarten classes and trying to teach... uh, gender identity and sexual identity to kindergartners who aren't old enough to understand it. I get that, but that's not a fight you can have within the Libertarian Party because the Libertarian Party is not equipped to deal with that. That's a fight you have at your local school board meeting. That's a, that's a fight you have in your local uh, community Facebook group about like what's appropriate and inappropriate for teachers to be teaching their children. Uh, and, and if you think it's inappropriate but other people think it's appropriate... It's not your right to tell them that they can't have their kids taught that, but it is your right to just pull your kids out of public school and fucking homeschool them.
0: Well said. Like,
1: yeah, like it's... The problem here is that people are trying to use government to fight off what they don't like, and this is my problem with Pete Canonas and the post-libertarians and all those people was they got so hung up on hating the left and the culture war being the biggest fight to be had that they stopped promoting libertarian ideas. They stopped promoting a fight for liberty, towards liberty, and they started pushing a fight not to scale back government, but to take over government. Which is, no, that, that's not a fight you want to be on either side of. There is no winning side of that fight. Because well, and then you point, just
0: get on the side of, like, Nick Fuentes, you know?
1: It's right. Like, yeah. we'll,
0: we'll, we'll be the At least dictator. he's been
1: honest. Like, yeah. Nick Fuentes has been honest from the get-go. He's an arrogant little piece of shit, but he has been <laughs> honest <laughs> and upfront with his views from the get-go. He's like, I'm not a libertarian. I don't believe in limited government. I believe in an authoritarian dictatorship, and I want it to be my people who are in charge so we can use government yeah. to oppress people we disagree with. I'm like... Ah, you're a fucking horrible human being, but at least I know where you come from. Yeah, <laughs> it's like Pete Canonas and Tho Bishop and the uh, post-libertarianums and and like the Mises GOP crowd. They are couching and hiding their views behind the ideas of libertarianism, like we're going to use government to promote liberty. I'm like, no, you—that's an oxymoron. Like you can't fucking yeah. do that. Like the moment you take over the government and you use the government and you use the government's monopoly on force to hinder your uh, political opponents' ability to compete in the marketplace, you've become as bad as them.
0: Well, and what what happened to good ideas don't require force?
1: Uh, well. I don't think good ideas require force when they're available in a marketplace and there's choice involved.
0: A free Um, marketplace, yeah. Correct.
1: Now, I am not an adherent of the NAP. I am not an adherent of the non aggression principle. I think it's dumb. I think it's a misguided, (laughs) ill ill formed opinion, ill formed philosophy that's childishly incomplete, doesn't account for nuance or situational circumstance at all. Um, Talk about a hot take. (laughs) And it's something that's been perverted entirely over the years. Um, and libertarians cling to the nap, and when they pitch the nap the non-aggression principle, they pitch it as pacifism and I don't believe in pacifism that's ridiculous. yeah paci- I mean a pacifist to me is just somebody who's never been hungry
0: yeah like, well i mean it's it's interesting to me because i I think it's a good starting point it's It's a good entry place uh, it's a It's a good thing to talk about, but in practice, things are way more complicated than that. You know, it, and it's... Well, it, like, I, I pissed it off has been all of Twitter.
1: Yeah, like... I, you I'll, piss off Twitter? I, no. I, yeah, no, I'll <laughs> occasionally go out of my way to try and trigger Liberty Twitter with a hot take just to, like... Sometimes it's to make people think. Sometimes it's because I'm mad. Uh The last one I had, I was just trying to goad the Mises kids into, like, realizing a hypocrisy that they had. And it worked beautifully. I, like, even got Dave Smith. He's like, you're not wrong. You're just an asshole. I'm like, I know I'm not wrong. I'm just an asshole. Uh, But one of them I had, it escaped Liberty Twitter. Um, Like, I knew it would piss off Liberty Twitter. I didn't expect it to escape Liberty Twitter and just piss off the world. uh, When I said that Timothy McVeigh did nothing wrong. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, I was trying to make an argument. I was trying to make an argument that, like, by the Libertarian Party's definition of the non-aggression principle and by the definition of the non-aggression principle that's most commonly accepted and taught and talked about and debated by Libertarians, Timothy McVeigh did nothing wrong at all. He, he complied with the non-aggression principle. That's how stupid of a philosophy it is. Yeah. The, like, unfortunately, I couldn't make that... Point without saying, Timothy McVeigh did nothing wrong. So people took that way too far, and like in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have picked that fight publicly. But <laughs> the the uh, the ten thousand people who sent my tweet to the Oklahoma City field office of the FBI uh, got pretty mad, but, and I understand that. But, but, uh,
0: yeah, that that makes a little sense. Um, I haven't
1: tried to fly since, so yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, be be prepared to, you know, take another mode of transportation, you know, just just in case by by a train ticket, you know. <laughs> yeah. But,
1: but. And that was my point. It's like if if you want to break that down line by line, like the non-aggression principle just says you cannot engage, you cannot initiate violence. For political gain, it doesn't say you can't engage in violence. It says you cannot initiate yeah. it, and it doesn't even say you can't initiate violence. It says you can't initiate violence for political gain. It has nothing to do with personal grudges and beefs. Yeah, but I want to. If, if somebody's stupid and they need to be slapped in the next week, slap them in the next fucking week, like by all fucking means. It's just, if it's not political, the nap doesn't cover it. Yeah. Um But Timothy McVeigh was acting in retribution. Like, But by his own thought processes, by his own manifesto, by his own beliefs and his own words, he was acting in retribution for Waco and Ruby Ridge, where he felt the IRS and the ATF had become domestic terrorist organizations that were acting against the manifested liberty of humankind in America, and that their very existence constituted a basic primal threat to his life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. I agree with that 100%. His next step was to load up load up a truck full of explosives and kill a bunch of ATF agents because them being alive and employed by the ATF was a tangible, realistic threat to his life, in his opinion. The only thing he did wrong was trust an undercover ATF agent to give him uh, (laughs) intelligence. Because he didn't know that there was a daycare in the building. The ATF agent told him that it would just be ATF agents and IRS agents. He was set the fuck up the whole time. Um, Had he waited till daycare got out and only government agents were killed in the blast, I would still say he was in the right. Um, But, like, the casualties of war, the collateral damage of the kids in the daycare, those kids in that daycare are not dead because Timothy McVeigh violated the NAP, those kids in that daycare are dead. Because ATF agents tried to set somebody up and frame them for domestic terrorism.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's <laughs> a a really good point. Actually, um, it's I, I I don't know. You you look at issues like uh, Ruby Ridge, Waco, mm-hmm. and then. What what is expected to happen that that nobody's gonna do anything, I mean, and the, the, there's less less egregious things than that as well. It's like, it, the, it's one of the things that pisses me off. Just one of the many things about government agencies. It's they just get to do what they want, no retribution at all. And this this is not a uh, a, a call to violence. Any I'll anybody make it listening, call to violence. but
1: like here's the thing: It's like. Uh, a call to violence is something I think that we absolutely need. Like 250 years ago, the founding fathers of this country were so pissed off about a 3% tax on tea that they stacked bodies. (laughs) And they violated private property rights. Washington crossing
0: the Delaware on Christmas morning.
1: They violated (laughs) private property rights to kick things off too. Like, Libertarians talk about like the the problem with the Black Lives Matter protests is that they damage pri- private property. I don't give a fuck. That private property is insured. Guess what? Do you know what started the Boston? Do you know what the Boston Tea Party was? The Boston Tea Party was a bunch of dudes dressing up like Indians who broke into a private shipping yard, who went onto a privately owned ship and destroyed private cargo. After inflation, it comes out to like a hundreds of millions of dollars of damage that they did if yeah. you adjust it all for inflation over time. Um, to private property. And, yeah. and nobody wants to, nobody says that was a bad idea. That kicked off the greatest war in history, the revolution. But pro, like, everyone wants to protest against what the government's doing. Like, Black Lives Matter wanted to do something about what the government was doing. And like, I, I wish they targeted better. I like the Antifa kids in New York who took out a fucking police precinct and burned it to the ground. Yeah. They're goddamn heroes in my mind. Um the kids in Boston, yeah, I actually cruisers. I actually had
0: no problem with that. It's like you're you're <laughs> taking it to actual people, you know, that yeah. uh, caused the issue in the first place. Like you're actually doing something. Yeah, the kids I, in I Boston a...
1: that flipped cruisers and uh torched cruisers. Good on them. Yeah. The kids in p- the 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 BLM and Antifa movement that I had the most amount of respect for was fucking Seattle and Portland. Like, they seceded successfully. (laughs) They declared an independent, autonomous, self-governing region of a major metropolitan city, and the government said, ah, fuck, we don't know what to do about this. Like, they called the bluff on an authoritarian government and said, you can't come in here, and the government's like, shit, we can't go in there. Like... (laughs) <laughs> people think secession is going to be all that hard. They they took a major city, like yeah. a major metropolitan city. And they that took...
0: wasn't on the outskirts either.
1: Yeah, so. and, and they did that without a plan. Imagine if there was a plan. Um, But no, like
0: people actually competent as well, you know,
1: (laughs) like libertarians, they just think protesting will solve all their problems, but they don't know what protesting is. A protest is an inherently violent action. If you're not inconveniencing somebody, if you are not hindering somebody's ability to go about their day, if you are not creating a disturbance that gets attention and promotes the idea of consequences behind your demands, then you're not protesting. You're just demonstrating peacefully. And peaceful demonstration has never accomplished a goddamn thing in this world, ever. There has not been a successful cultural or political revolution in the recorded history of mankind that was not backed by violence. Even Martin Luther King's March on Washington and the Million Man March and the Civil Rights Movement in the southern United States was not without violence. And in fact, it was an inherently violent movement. And it was one of the most important social upheavals in modern history. And it was incredibly violent, because not only was the entire basis of their protest the violation of private property rights to end segregation with the sit-ins and the protests, but every action they took was backed by the very real and very credible threat of armed violence from the Black Panthers and other militant groups that guarded them with guns. Yeah. Like, that was a very, very violent revolution that people do not want to talk about that took place right here in the United States. And the difference between the right and the left in protest culture and how they've approached protest culture in the past year is evident in the Black Lives Matter versus the gun rights debate. Like you look at two years ago when the state of Virginia was de- uh, discussing gun control laws and 100,000 gun owners showed up to the state capitol, open carrying, armed to the teeth to protest these gun control bills. But they said, we're going to be peaceful. We will not cause a disturbance. We will not break the law. And the legislators... What what, what good is it at that point? The legislators looked down from on high at the top of that hill and said, oh, look at them. They're picking up their own trash. How nice. I vote yes. There's no consequence to pissing off the peaceful. Because the peaceful will accept anything ordered from on high whereas on the flip side what a hundred thousand well-armed people could not accomplish peacefully a couple hundred unarmed leftist protesters turned this country upside down for an entire summer and started a social movement based on violence that showed that there were inherent consequences to not heeding their demands. And those consequences might not be personal for legislators, but they would be personal for the people who vote for those legislators. That if there was not police reform, cities would burn. Precincts would burn private business would suffer their investment portfolios would be destroyed and legislators took notice yeah police yeah, that's, reform that's a bills, really good point police reform bills went up in most of the country
0: yeah interesting
1: consequence and that consequence was a terrible terrifying consequence but it was a consequence that mattered yeah. And if there's no consequence to your demands, you're not making demands. You're making requests.
0: Well, and then you just get to the point. Um, there's, there's that clip of uh, Jordan Peterson on Joe Rogan going around lately talking about how, uh, you know, if if I want to take things over, then I'm just going to keep pushing you back until you get mad enough to protest. And then I'll stop and then I'll keep pushing you back a little bit until you get mad and protest and then i'll stop and wait Mm -hmm. and uh, i think that's that's a really interesting point it there there is the question of at at whip at which point is talking not not going to cut it um i think uh a, a lot of the the violence the protesting and everything um it's definitely not my ideals i wouldn't have been out there um, effective, yeah, I I think it is very effective. Um,
1: well, here, here's the big know, problem that I think libertarians are, are facing in their deep-seated belief about private property and peaceful protest and the non-aggression principle is if you look at the Black Lives Matter movement objectively, it's one of the most libertarian movements in recent history.
0: Interesting. <laughs> the, organization, so you. You know, yeah. the organization, not so
1: much. a hot take for you. The organization, not so much. Um, like the people who've co-opted the organization and built financial legacies around it are like deep city communists and they use Act Blue to funnel money to progressive candidacies. But the actual push the, of, like of what started Black Lives Matter was police brutality police violence, and government using the monopoly of force to disenfranchise and oppress minorities and individuals in this country and deprive them of their rights to life, liberty, and happiness. Like, that is inherently one of the most libertarian movements in the past 50 years, and libertarians couldn't get behind it because it was a group of people who realized what had to be done for their message to be heard and it didn't didn't vie well with the libertarian non-aggression principle.
0: Yeah. Which you you gotta be realistic, right? Like you there there is such thing as justified violence. I mean Sure. It's I always thought uh Buddhists were fucking nonsense. Uh the the complete pacifism is has always bothered me. Um, of course I was, I was raised in the, uh, you, you don't start it, you finish it. Um, yep. at this point, I, I feel like there's been so many egregious acts it's forced been upon citizens. Yeah. Like we, how many times do we got to strike or get, get striked to actually do something about it? Um, personally, uh, I, I stand behind the message of BLM, uh, fuck Antifa, but, um, you know, you, you make an interesting point. It was very effective. They, they got their message heard and that, that, that's they, really interesting. That's going to piss their, somebody off listening to this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they got their message heard and they, they accomplished they. Black Lives Matter movement has accomplished more for police reform in the past three years than the Libertarian Party has in 50.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah it's, and they've it's been true. the
1: same goals. They've been the same goals removing qualified immunity, holding police accountable for their actions, and eliminating the monopoly on violence.
0: Yeah, but then you get those dumb pieces of shit that are like, let's defund the police and just get rid of all policing and all of this and let's Why not? do it overnight. Oh no, no, I'm 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 for uh, abolishing. I mean, I'm a I'm an anarchist, so I I see no purpose in the state. But these there is a right way and a wrong way to do certain things. And those people completely destroyed and delegitimized any chance of actually getting anything done.
1: I, I think the Libertarian Party spending 50 years trying to poach compromise is what destroyed the possibility of anything getting done. I, I, I used to be of the same mind that incrementalism and doing things step by step and moving towards a freer society was the way to accomplish things. But like, over time, I came to realize that 200 years of compromise created the behemoth of government that we have today. Like compromise is not good that's for a good liberty point. because anytime you compromise between freedom and oppression, oppression wins because it's less freedom.
0: Yeah, that's point. That that's a good point. But to abolish a police system overnight, you you are going to have some major issues. So no, you're not. Um,
1: it, you, you're really not. I I. I I do not think you will, and there are microcosm cases of it happening here in New Hampshire. A town of Croydon, New Hampshire, held their town meeting, and uh, New, New Hampshire is a bit unique in how they do budgeting and stuff for t- in towns and cities. Like the cities, go through the process like where the aldermen and the mayor and whatnot and it's more legislative, but the towns, the town council will propose a budget to the town meeting. Whoever shows up to the town meeting gets a vote. Like it's a, it's a show up or lose your vote kind of a deal. And majority I actually wins. like that. Yeah. It's a majority wins kind of a thing. It happens once a year in the town meeting for the next year's budget and everything. Um, That's actually kind of how our city over here does it. <laughs> somebody had a personal beef, like a personal beef with the police chief in this town, like not even political, not even built just a person, like a neighborly dispute. So they showed up to the town meeting and like, I moved to strike the police budget. And that started a big uproar and a debate and an argument around the town meeting that turned into a political argument. I'm like, well, what the fuck do we need police for? And they not only fired the entire police department, they did it on the spot and told them to go home and leave their cruisers in uniforms. (laughs) Damn. And it's been three years without a cop in that town. The police chief stripped down to his underwear and started walking home in the winter. Uh.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm not opposed to the idea. I mean, what we're doing now is obviously not fucking working. So let's right. try something. So I, I am for the idea, but I also think that the the people that push something like this uh, in in certain areas, I I see it going fine. Other areas, not so much. Um, granted that. I mean, life is dangerous. You walk outside and you run the risk of running into all kinds of things. I mean, you're more likely to die in a car accident like 10 minutes from your house than you are anywhere else statistically. Um, I would just like the the people proposing these ideas to actually follow everything through. Don't just create something and then just walk away from it. Like, everything has a consequence, so... If uh, people are willing to see the whole thing through, then yeah, let's let's go. Um, I d- I don't see a lot of people wanting to follow through on everything, so.
1: Yeah, if they did, they'd all be moving to New Hampshire.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I I rather like my my state. Um,
1: hey, Wayne's I don't know. Maybe, maybe kind of one day. Back. Maybe you yeah. should get All the Utah guys move up to New Hampshire.
0: See, I I don't know. I was I was thinking about Wyoming. Just go over there and uh take over the whole state. Get a hundred thousand people, just move everyone over there. Plus it's a little Here's closer for me.
1: We what we've managed to do with five thousand people in New Hampshire is unprecedented. But our guys' is-
0: uh population over there.
1: One point two million. Okay. Like we're a small state. Yeah. But if we've only managed to get 5,000 people here to move here so far with the track record of success that we've had with the Free State Project and the Liberty Movement in New Hampshire in, like, moving New Hampshire. Like, if you read the recent Cato report, Freedom in the 50 States, they say New Hampshire has taken such a lead, they do not believe it will ever lose the number one spot again in the Freedom Rankings. Um, if we've only managed to get about five thousand people here in a small state like this, you're not going to get more than five hundred to Wyoming.
0: Like, yeah, I, I think it, five five hundred would actually be able to pull that off in Wyoming, though. With, so one what, of the what reasons, a, what a tiny population they have.
1: One of the reasons it's been so successful in New Hampshire is because New Hampshire is so much different than every other state in the country and how its legislature is set up, where. Um, the The House of Representatives in New Hampshire is the third largest parliamentary body in the world with four hundred state reps, like your average state rep in New Hampshire represents thirty six hundred people twelve hundred of which are voters, like your average state rep like if you 're running for state rep it 's not feasible that you can shake the hand of every single one of your constituents it 's feasible that you can have a one on one half hour meeting with every one of your constituents throughout the year. Uh, like, it, yeah. it, it, and that's something that's done. I have the personal cell phone numbers of over 60 state reps in New Hampshire because they're just accessible. Yeah. And it's a part-time unpaid position. Like in Wyoming, sure, it's a slightly smaller state population-wise, much bigger geographically, much harder to campaign, much harder to build the community infrastructure uh, or community support in. It's a much, much smaller legislature, much bigger districts, much harder to get elected.
0: Yeah. So how how do we replicate what's going on in New Hampshire anywhere else?
1: So press, this is a big pressing question that gets asked by Tim Poole, Luke Wardowski, uh like Joe Rogan. It's like, oh, we need a free state yeah. project everywhere. You cannot. And I'm going to make the case here that there are not enough people who naturally natively believe in libertarianism to replicate the free state project in more than one state because there are not enough libertarians to do to split up um condensation like consolidation and cooperation are the only path towards libertarianism like your liberty utopia and our diaspora that we have here in new hampshire and i do not think it can be replicated elsewhere Uh, new hampshire was chosen because of its very specific political climate and how easy it is to get involved in politics in new hampshire but it was also chosen because of its access to the tech job market with Boston right around the corner. Uh, the fact that it is in a tightly populated state, not like Wyoming where everything spreads So the fuck far apart where a small number can have an outsized impact. I do not think it's possible to replicate it. And I also don't think it's possible to convince people who aren't libertarian to be libertarian just by saying, trying to teach them that it's better. Um, Jim Bouchard, from Maine, uh, he he wrote a great book. It's called Crazy, Angry Libertarian. And the premise of the book is that, like, anybody who eventually comes to libertarianism, nobody ever converted to libertarian. Nobody's ever become a libertarian. It's just people who were already primed and able to think that way, who at some point in their life realized they always had been a libertarian. I don't think we will ever see the majority of this country become libertarian. I don't think we'll ever see the majority of any state become libertarian. So it's a matter of getting as many people who are like-minded and already believe this, who are teaching their kids this, who are building a community around these ideals and these values into one place as possible, because then you can have your microcosm of liberty, you can have a government that exists to protect your life, liberty, and property from the overarching enemy, the greater state and those who disagree with you, because you will never be a ma- majority. You will always be an intellectual, academic, and political minority. Yeah. And as long as we have democracy, you're ma- the minority will always be oppressed.
0: Yeah. And fuck democracy in general. Um, the
1: God that failed.
0: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Love that book. Um, I, I find it interesting. I was actually just watching... Um, it was like a mini documentary on YouTube the other day about, uh, the, the earth ship community down in New Mexico. And it's, mm-hmm. it's like a two mile stretch of land, you know, and the, the biggest thing that they fight down there is building codes. Yep. And it's like one of the biggest things and it's created this community down there. Um, so I think from what I'm I'm gathering from everything, obviously to replicate exactly what's going on in New Hampshire would be impossible. Correct um and and each each location is gonna have to have its own version, uh, based upon the, the, the attitudes, the traditions, um, you know, dead people's baggage, whatever. Um <laughs> and it it's gonna have to be its own thing, obviously. Um and it's definitely not going to be what people think it's going to be. And Capistan is is not going to be anything really. Like it's it's never going to happen. Uh I've always been a supporter of succession. You know, I I think yep. that's the only logical or at least the the most realistic way to get it done is just to remove yourself from the society to not play part in it. Um do you think like things? Communities like this could even pop up in uh, some of these super oppressive states—New York, California, places like that.
1: So it's it's a very Hopian thing to to ask that question. Like uh, Hoppe preaches intentional communities and, and your intentional gated community. I don't believe, and I'm going to tie this in. One of the biggest problems in anarch in the anarchist movement worldwide right now is the divide between right anarchy and left anarchy. The anarcho-socialists and communists and mutualists and the anarcho-capitalists and agorists and they're all fucking retarded. <laughs> Everyone on both sides of that argument is absolutely fucking retarded because any economic system relies in order for an economic system to be predominant it relies on regulating out the competition so capitalism can only exist in its pure form if communism is prohibited if mutualism is prohibited and those things agorism can only exist in its purest form if capitalism is prohibited because the regulation of the economy can't be allowed to happen communism can only be exist if profit is prohibited so The moment you have any prohibition or regulation, you've created a government, you're no longer an anarchist. Now, that's not to say that these economic systems cannot exist in conjunction and in competition with each other in a free society, and I do believe that any post-state society would be inherently panarchist with a multitude of competing and varying economic models and systems that are going to reflect the values in customs of the people who choose to live within those systems in hub of about your gated communities and keeping only people who share your values in your community and kicking people the fuck out. If they don't share your values, I'm all for that as long as they have somewhere to go, which is a community that shares their values. These don't need to be libertarian enclaves. You can have a Agreed. communist enclave as long as it's built on a system of consent and doesn't, strive for expansion and the the crush of dissent outside of its own cohesive unit like and I think that's almost necessary because different industries and different um, necessities of a modern connected world are going to require different economic systems to function more effectively like I don't think raw unbridled capitalism is the best system by which a farming commune should be run mutualism and socialism might actually be the better system for a farming commune to run and manage itself however that farming commune is going to have outside needs it needs to be brought in its power its maintenance its vehicles its fuel it will have to conduct trade and do business with the capitalists and the agorists who live in a neighboring village like it it And this can all work and it can all function and we're seeing examples of this now with uh, Karn Ross of the Independent Diplomat Institute in the United Kingdom is doing phenomenal work with Independent Diplomat and helping set up anarchist societies in Kurdistan, Syria, Lebanon and the Near East where governments have failed and people still have basic needs and necessities to be met but there's no government. To provide for them. And Kurdistan is an incredible example of how modern anarchy can work. And it, it's not quite modern it, by our standards, because Kurdistan is about 30, 40 years technologically behind the Western world, but they don't have a government at all. There is yeah. no government in the territories of Kurdistan, in northern Syria, southern Turkey, and northern Iraq, what is homogeneously known as culturally as Kurdistan. There is no functional government. But there's a military. There are schools. There are there are There's roads. roads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, everybody works harmoniously and works together well. And they are a truly panarchist society. Like The overwhelming majority of their s- society is mutualist. Where it's not quite socialist, it's not quite capitalist. It's somewhere in between where people strive to better their lives but have a cultural belief in helping each other. Not a government mandate to help each other. It's actually yeah. something that's ingrained in their culture that they choose to do willingly by consent.
0: Yeah, which, I mean, should be the whole goal. And that's that's really right. what all of this boils down to, right? Is consent. And that, that's, that's right. the difference between rape and lovemaking and the difference between theft and, um, taxes. Yeah, pretty much, you know, it's, it's the consent. It's what, what you agree to doing, uh, having even a halfway informed opinion, you know, um, so it doesn't seem, obviously it seems difficult, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be this huge, real big undertaking to really get things like this done it it seems like more than anything it's going to take time and it's going to have to start in the household
1: the longer it takes the less likely it is an outcome and i i go back to that it's 250 years of compromise gave us the behemoth of government yeah. that we have today because those who valued freedom and liberty were willing to compromise and when the, every time they compromised, those who opposed freedom and liberty won because it was a little less freedom and liberty. And the next yeah. time a compromise came up to the table, it was a little less freedom and liberty. The next compromise was a, even a little less. The longer it takes, the less likely we are to achieve. And that's why I go back to, like, the abolish the police. I, I don't think it's something we can compromise on. If, if that's something we want to get done, it's something we have to just do. We cannot. So it's all or nothing. To- um and then for once it's burned down and the, the burn it down to build it up again is not when a building burns down you're generally left with the foundation okay and when you evaluate the foundation in the wreckage of that building after doing the demo and clearing the debris you have to make a decision about whether or not to crack and break and dig up the foundation or build back anew on top of the damaged foundation. It's never correct to build on top of a foundation that already is cracked and damaged. Um, So, like, we're seeing the country burn down around us right now in modern libertarianism, the Libertarian Party, minarchists, and, like, the progressive libertarian movements are talking about rebuilding as we go on a damaged foundation. If which is always going along... to
0: lead to a damaged product,
1: correct? And, and I, I, tr- I do not believe we can achieve true liberty and true human freedom without first burning the whole thing down and building a new foundation. And that new foundation is going to be culture. It's going yeah. to be community. the The foundation has to be the values by which the community is founded. Because right now, like, if you go and ask any group of 100 people to define American values for you, you're going to get 85 different answers. We don't know what the values of humanity are. We don't know what the values of freedom and liberty are because even within the libertarian movement, when you ask people to define their values and what they're fighting for, you get disagreement and disharmony. Yeah. So... uh, I think that foundation needs to be entirely replaced. And the longer we go on a crumbling foundation, the more disastrous and deadly the collapse will inevitably be.
0: No. So start, start your own communes and have a really strict immigration policy.
1: <laughs> when it comes to immigration, like...
0: so so I, the reason I, I I say that is because of the uh the I, I'm not sure how familiar you are with uh christiania over in Denmark, which a bunch of hippies pretty much just took over uh an abandoned military base and just created their own community and it's a uh, world's largest anarchist society it has a population of like a little over six hundred people and i mean it, it's kind of funny if you look at the history of it. They they've ran into a lot of these issues that people use, uh, you know, uh, for arguments against anarchy. It's, you'll just have warlords coming in, you know. They they've had biker gangs come in and try to take over the, uh, um, the marijuana industry over there, um, and they they've all found solutions for them. This society has been working for over, uh, well, let's see, since the late '60s. So they they found. They found ways to uh, deal with all of this and still have a peaceful society, you know? And they, they have a little bit of a community everything. Everyone gets a say in everything. Yep. So progress seems to be a little bit slow, but I mean, things still get done. So, but they do have a very strict immigration policy on who they let come in and live in the society and make choices.
1: Sure, and, and that's the and argument of protecting the values and cultures of your community. Um... I, th- I think the immigration debate is one that it, it, it's, a, it's not a debate that's had in good faith amongst libertarians because they don't define the terms. They don't discuss the reality of the situation. Yeah. And I, I, I believe somebody can be like a libertarian or a minarchist who believes in immigration controls and regulations. I do not believe you can be an anarchist and believe in immigration controls. I think welcoming someone into your community Is and or not welcoming someone into your community is not the same thing as being anti-immigration or pro-immigration, because if you're in an anarchist society and you're acknowledging the lack of a government, you're also inherently acknowledging the lack of public property. Everything is private, whether that private is a conglomerate of individuals who've made a choice about who they're going to allow in or not, or an individual who decides who they're going to allow in or not. It is private. It is not a public good. It is not public property. So long as the state exists, property is public. You don't own your home. You pay property taxes. You rent it from the state every year. Yeah. Yet you still have a modicum expectation of privacy and private ownership of it and private control over it. And, and so that's where things get to, tend to get murky. A lot of the anti-immigration people will say, well, you lock your doors at night. Don't and, you? I'm know, like, damn straight. That's my private property. But the border is yeah. not my private property. You shouldn't be able to have the right to tell a member of the same species as you that they do not have the same rights as you because they were born on the other side of an imaginary line that was drawn on a map where two groups of guys decided they were bored with killing each other 200 years ago because <laughs> that's what a border business is still yeah yeah like the, the, the border between Mexico and Texas is because that's where Mexicans and Americans got tired of killing each other. Like, the borders <laughs> between France and yeah. Germany is because that's where we got tired of killing each other and said, OK, we'll draw it here. The border between North and South Korea is because 70 years ago, like, fuck, why are we still killing each other here? And so we just drew a border like what side of that arbitrary line you are born on should not determine your value as a human being. And determine what rights you're able to. And even Mises, like in in one of me, I can't remember which book it was, but Mises argues that a group of individuals not only has a right to cross any border that is held by a government, but they have a right to take up arms and force their way across any border where a state hinders their ability to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. Yeah, like if there are, if there is a potential for better better economic outcome on one side of a government-controlled border than the other, then an individual has a right to take up arms and force their way across that government-declared border to seek better economic, personal, and social outcomes for them and their families. And that's something that Mises says. And it's the Mises Caucus and the Paleo-Libertarians who take the opposite approach most of the time.
0: Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. Uh, so... I don't know. I struggle with the open and closed border things. I I go back and forth like in the abstract, I agree a hundred percent. I think where my biggest hang up as far as like open borders comes from is cultural differences. Um, obviously I think that the the main border of anything is your property line, right? It's it's what you own, it's yours. And that, that should be defendable. Uh, I also agree that there, there sh- could be some, some form of like, uh, uh, a militia, you know, some sort of, a French foreign Legion organization that could protect a community's borders, um, something along those lines. And I could see it being on a much larger scale, um, a state perhaps, um, so i so, so i don't know i go back states, and forth with that
1: even in the united states today even under our current understanding and application of private property rights you do not have the right to restrict your property in a manner that causes someone else to lose access to theirs yeah so and, and we do these with easements and A friend of mine has been having an ongoing battle with his neighbor over an easement. Um, He has a plot of land up in the woods with a home and a homestead and a farm. Um, And the only traversable grade to get up there is his neighbor's driveway. That's not on his property. But he has an easement to use his neighbor's driveway to get up to his property. And his neighbor cannot restrict him from having access to come and go to his own property.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, that that would be insane to be able to prevent somebody from going to their own property.
1: Okay. Now, expand this to your little, to a commune ideal where a group of people have set up a city and they have walls all around their city and their city guard defends those walls. An individual property owner within it has invited friends and family to come visit their property. Yeah. The city guard stops them at the gate whose rights are being violated.
0: Uh, it it would be the person traveling to get to the place they were invited to.
1: Correct. Or did the person who made that invitation violate the rights of the collective who had chosen not to accept anyone else into their borders?
0: Yeah, that is pretty murky.
1: So, I mean... At what point does your growth of a community defending itself through the restriction of immigration become a state
0: yeah that's interesting because i mean that's supposedly um at least from what i've been told by others is the well one of the few legitimate purposes of a state correct is uh the control of a border um i mean legitimate use of a state i don't know exactly i have an issue with that term but yeah, I I don't know. I mean, there there would have to be that the, the community would be based around um, equal access to people's property, and then that's where you start getting into regulation of how that's maintained, um, who's going to do it. So um, you've written some laws. Yeah, and then you need law enforcement. So. Yeah effectively
1: it's funny uh, we're making the argument against anarchy here and uh, the inevitability of government coming spring out of anarchy chaos that's that's order out of chaos of spontaneous order but like I think it's important to make these arguments to refine your views as an anarchist because yeah these if most anarchists would just shut down that's <laughs> the first end of this and walk yeah. away from a, uh, a conversation about it but it's important as an anarchist to understand the flaws in anarchy and to recognize oh, that yeah, we don't definitely. have all the answers like like why do i support anarchy because it's better than what we know yeah like like everything we've seen government do is awful like, I support anarchy yeah. because government has proven inept and incapable and detrimental to human liberty. That doesn't mean anarchy is the perfect long-term answer.
0: Yeah, no. That doesn't mean no, of that order won't
1: come, spontaneous order won't come up with something better. Um, but actually, the most common argument I hear from, like, paleo-libertarians, the Rothbardians, the Mises Caucus folks against open immigration is welfare. Yeah. That we can't have open immigration as long as we have a welfare state which logically means we have to have mandatory birth control as long as we have a welfare state. Because is your problem that more people are taking advantage of welfare or that it's more people from the other side of that border that are taking uh, advantage of welfare? Yeah. If it's the more people are from the other side of that border, that's fine. Just be honest that you are a nationalistic, that you are not an anarchist, that you believe in the nation state, and you believe the values of an individual are determined based on which nation state they are born in. That's fine. Just yeah. be honest about it. If it's that more people are taking advantage of welfare, then you shouldn't allow uncontrolled birth rates.
0: Yeah. Which, that gets into some weird areas when you start talking right. about it. Now,
1: now you're a Nazi in a different kind of way. Now you believe in the
0: <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Go go get your Hugo Boss uniform. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's wild. And see i i think that the issue for me still still just lands with like how i mean i guess that that would actually be a bad question but like there there are lots of people out there uh some neighbors you know i've i've lived next to do not value liberty and it's like as long as my property's fine yeah that's that that's one thing um I don't I don't know how two of these uh consenting voluntary communes could uh live with such opposing ideas and uh not negatively affect each other.
1: It it would have to be an understanding of how far your ideas can spread like it's a matter of scale. Um, I'll say right yeah. now, the most perfect form of government, the absolute, most perfect form of governance and hierarchy, is authoritarian communism. It just does not scale. It works yeah. perfectly in small-scale family units. because yeah, every the family best in the unit, every family unit is an authoritarian communist regime.
0: 100% like, agree,
1: and it works perfectly, but it does not scale. Once you get beyond no. seven or eight people, shit starts to break down. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, like then you
0: end up with the Donner Party.
1: <laughs> but you have neighbors and of, of families that work very well together. Yeah, and, and like the mafia is actually a really great example. Like the, the mafia is a federation of families yeah. that come together for. The purposes of defense, mutual aid, uh, influence, and trade and business. Yeah. E- individual families within that mafia might have slightly varying different uh, value sets. But they're all close enough on overarching principle that they form one big federation of families.
0: Yeah. Well, in, yeah, God, even with mafia, though, one of, one of the biggest issues between families always comes up with territory.
1: Yeah, it doesn't scale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they got too big.
0: Yeah. Um, exactly. So, and I, and, like like I said that that's just one of my I cuz like I said I I go back and forth with the open and closed border and I, it's it's a huge issue within the liberty movement in general. You know, um it, it, just spend 5 minutes on Twitter and you'll find some argument going every single day. Um I I just don't see how like some uh, a cultural belief so antithetical to another can peacefully exist on the larger scale Uh, on the smaller scale yeah uh, everything does seem to be uh, a little bit easier to handle Um, i mean eventually there has to be some borders to something right
1: well, let's think about it this way. If immigration were truly unrestricted and free in yeah. a post state society with a varying multitude of different cities, towns, cooperatives, communes, all of which operate on slightly different varying models in cultures and customs, people will gravitate towards the cultures they want to be a part of. Like, if you're yeah. operating a communist commune, I don't want to live there. Uh, yeah really if if somebody's operating a capitalist like mercantilist like seaport a communist doesn't want to live there yeah like as long as people are restricted from going where they want to be they are forced to try and impose their beliefs on those around them yeah but if they are free to leave and leave peacefully and maintain relationships across those lines and free to visit and conduct business back and forth, people will go to be around those that are like them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, humans
1: are fairly, I, I guess, uh, self-selecting would... tribal animals.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well put. Well put. It's uh it is kind of interesting so i mean logically and th- this is a big question and we'll we'll start wrapping it up here but with with what we have now where do we go what do we do what what what's our first steps
1: if i had those answers i might actually be important <laughs> <laughs> um and honestly i i think one of the most important things you can do in any academic pursuit or political pursuit is know what you don't know, and, and we do not have the answers to those questions. Like, mm, Daryl Daryl Perry got blown up and became an internet meme for saying that he didn't know it because he didn't know how to say he didn't know it. And like when he went on his little rant on Sim Cedar's show, he's it like, "It's not the United States of fucking Daryl. Well, I don't fucking know all the answers. <laughs> the, the the truth is, we don't know all the answers. Yeah, I don't need, and we don't need to know all the answers. Like. Sometimes it's better to know that you can figure shit out as you go. Like, like the only thing we know for certain is that what we have now doesn't work and it isn't working. And we know that we cannot make what we have now work. Like, that we cannot move forward with the system we have now and create a functional system that respects human liberty and human freedom. So it must be torn down. What yeah. the path to tearing it down? I don't know. Is do we all show up in D.C. on January 6th next year with rifles? I don't know. <laughs> do we? Um, do do we legislatively support secession at the local level? I don't know. Like, so yes, I'm doing it all. Like, New Hampshire yeah. has a bill to secede from the union. I'm all in on that, and I'm all in on it. Not because I think it stands a chance in hell of passing, um, but because I think it's going to force a conversation to be had. And yeah. and I think the more people that are awake to that conversation, even if we disagree on the inevitable outcome, like it, it's important that we take the steps towards an outcome.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, my my stance has always been it, it starts in the house, starts in the home. Uh whatever somebody's family ends up being, uh, of course, I, I do believe wholeheartedly in the nuclear family. Um, but I'm not opposed to other family structures. It's just not the one I'm going to choose. You know, I'll, I'll right. choose one for me. And I, I think uh, peaceful parenting when it comes to children is one of the best ways to improve society. Um, and if we could all, uh, in whatever capacity, um, push that in whatever peaceful way we possibly can to, uh, raise children better. I, I think our society, I mean, it, it took a while for us to get here with everything so shitty. So it's, it's going to take just as long, maybe even longer to, uh, get back to a better society. And I think, uh, it's, it's going to start in the household. So that,
1: that's, and, uh, Hey, a- again, not to knock on peaceful parenting, <laughs> But I, I, it's a notion of it's it's still just another notion of one size fits all, and what yeah. might work for you and your family might not work for others, and that's something I have noticed. I do live, like I said, I live in a very anarcho-centric community of libertarians here in yeah. the west side of Manchester, New Hampshire. We've we have gentrified a city of libertarians here in Manchester. <laughs> um, oh, but, I gotta
0: get out there for a visit.
1: Yeah, and people. uh like, I've seen varying outcomes uh, of yeah. the peaceful parenting mentality. Where some kids are just unruly, wild, and like, mm, some only a matter of time till she goes off to communist college. and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and some kids yeah. are like nine years old. I play chess with them, have academic discussions with them because they're there. Yeah, like the the freedom to raise themselves has been beneficial for them, but for others it hasn't. It, yeah. It's to me, it's that's just an example of how one size fits all approaches don't work and libertarians fall into the trap of thinking our one size fits all will work.
0: Well, I mean, libertarian (laughs) is just the best. And of course there's no opposing (laughs) opinions. So, (laughs) so last question, Mm -hmm. what do you think Liberty is and what does it mean to you?
1: Yeah, the answer to this question has evolved so often, so many times. Um, Liberty, I think, can best be defined as a living in a world where it's fundamentally understood by everyone, your community, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your government, whoever's in charge, the police, the law enforcement, that the sovereignty of an individual is paramount. And that the sovereignty of an individual is like cannot be encroached upon legislatively, culturally, and that you are free to do with what you own, what you want to do. So long as you don't infringe upon the rights of others to do what they want to do with what they own. Like it's little things, it's little nuanced things that all add up to the total liberty. Like I want to raise chickens in my backyard. I can't raise chickens in my backyard because the government says I can't raise chickens in my backyard. That in and of itself doesn't make me free if I win that battle. That does not make me have liberty. Um, if I don't pay property taxes, the government takes my land. But if we change that, that in and of itself does not make me free. It's, it's, it's trying to define liberty as a set of circumstances or a set of laws or a set of a state of being... I think is an approach we don't want to go down. It's a road we don't want to take. I think the best definition for liberty is one that's undefined because each individual is going to have a different perfect world. Each individual is going to have different things that matter to them. And so long as each individual's pursuit of liberty is respected and not encroached upon by others, then the term can be left vague and can carry its meaning. It doesn't need to be defined as a set, firm thing. And I think that's just another trap with the philosophies. I don't think the language exists to truly define what we think of when we say liberty and freedom. Like because there, there are so many seemingly inconsequential things that manifestly affect your liberty and your freedom that you don't think about on a day-to-day basis that when anyone is changed or any, if any anyone or group of them is changed it's negligible or non-noticeable but as a whole dictate every aspect of your life
0: yeah it was well said I, I think so. I I think I have to agree to to a certain point. I mean, there, I think there is a clear distinction between slavery and freedom. Um, But what? But we can't
1: know that distinction until you've experienced freedom or slavery. I, you can make the argument that we've experienced slavery every day of your life as an American.
0: To. To a certain extent, would, I I, th- I think yeah. we're all financial slaves. You know, we're we're yeah. all tax cattle. But you know, <laughs> like there, it,
1: there's an argument to be made that by like some definitions of freedom, like your your ranch slaves in the South pre Civil War were freer than most Americans are today. Yeah.
0: Well, and you know, <laughs> su- supposedly we're more freer than you know, like a medieval serf. You know, and there's and honestly, that that's kind of why I started this show is because. Every time I've talked to somebody, it, everyone does have a different view and that that's honestly the conversations I've wanted to have. And so that's really the biggest reason why I started my show, um, that, and to hopefully spread some knowledge, hopefully, you know, get, get some good conversations going. Cause I, I think, uh, what we have going, it's not working and the the, the only way to actually get something going um uh, we we got to figure something out we got to talk about it we we've got to do something so you know it's it's uh it's not much it's not activism which i totally agree <laughs> with you know but it is fun so you know and it it helps add to things so yeah that was great yeah. and then
1: Some, somebody asked me why i started my show and, and like i went on like it's not act after i went on and it's not activism like well it was not activism why'd you do it i'm like honestly because i was Fucking locked in a house for two fucking years. Couldn't talk to people. Bored out of my fucking mind. Like, major depression. And, like, I needed something that compelled me to talk to interesting people every day. Oh, yeah. and, and that's what the show was. And that's how I started my show. And that's how I got to where I am with it. Is it, it I don't do it for other people. I don't do it for the listeners and the viewers. I no. it did it for me in... Approaching conversations that I wanted to have, that I found interesting, and I, I love the fact that I, I haven't gone viral. I haven't built a massive audience of fetching uh, viral content, but like I've built an audience, a loyal yeah. audience of people that appreciated what I've done and how I've done it for the same reasons that I appreciate that I wanted to do it, and to me, that is so much better than. Getting a hundred thousand listeners who were told they should listen to this, rather than people who came across it and wanted to come back.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's great having having the natural growth. I I gotta admit, my I've got a pretty small audience. I mean, I've I've only been around now for just just a few months since July, twenty twenty one, and it's growing slow, but you know, I I, I couldn't imagine having some of these massive audiences and actually uh, get to the point where it's like, you know what, what I say could really like change things like God having a show like Joe Rogan, get the fuck out of here. Like that's.
1: Well, so uh, one of the things I love about Joe Rogan is Joe Rogan himself is not particularly interesting. Like, Agreed. Agreed. Like, like George, he's not even a particularly like engaging person on his own podcast. It's just, it's not like Tim Poole, who's excitable, who's loud, who's rambunctious, and he the show is about Tim's reactions and involvements in the discussions. Joe Rogan, God, as big as he is, not because of his own personality or his own style or doing things, but just because like he surrounded himself by interesting people and gave them a platform to speak on. And and it's like, and his, like the political views of his guests are all over the map. The scientific views of his guests are all over the map. Uh, And oftentimes they're in wild disagreement with him, but he's not controversial. He's non-argumentative. He doesn't, he doesn't (laughs) ask hard questions. He just lets people come on to entertain him. And that's what he's, He's managed to leverage his name and his celebrity to find some of the most entertaining and, like, interesting people in the world to come on and entertain him for a few hours and, in the process, provide a new source of information to millions of people who otherwise wouldn't have heard of them.
0: Yeah. Which I absolutely love because uh, yep. it's seeing, seeing his ratings be higher than CNN's, MSNBC, Fox, <laughs> like all of these things, it, it yeah. just makes me so happy. And honestly, it's one of my biggest white pills, you know, seeing yep. things like that.
1: And like I said, he's had guests that I think are retarded. And like, oh yeah, I disagree too. with entirely, but like, he doesn't challenge. that. He just says, okay, like, you do your piece. We'll have a conversation about it.
0: Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, on that note, I think we're going to wrap up. So do you want to let people know where they can find you and let them know about your show?
1: Yeah, so you can follow me on O'Donnell4Liberty. Um, The website's O'Donnell4Liberty.com, number four, because I was lazy and didn't feel like typing it all out (laughs) when I was searching. Or on Twitter, at O'Donnell4NH. Uh, Old Twitter from back when I used to run for office. Uh, Got a blue check mark. really easy to find. Just look for Justin O'Donnell. Uh, I should be the first one. If you Google me, I am the first, like, 11 hits on Google um and so it's really easy to get to me you if you go to my website o'donnellforliberty.com it's got links to the youtube to the odyssey spotify apple podcast everything you can get my book on amazon uh and hit me up on twitter my dms are always open if anybody has questions um i'll usually answer them if i'm awake
0: <laughs> yeah hell yeah and uh you you can find this show rise to com. you can find the merch at rise to liberty.store um, recommend going over to rise slash free speech for as long as the you know that's not being censored. That's uh, the Telegram group, so we'll we'll see how long that platform lasts. So yeah, uh, it was it was great. I had a really really awesome time. I think this is gonna be be a great episode. So hell yeah, I had a lot of fun, and we'll get you back on.
1: All right, thank you. Buddy. Right on,
0: man. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me.